I don't know if I've told you yet or not, be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, I know that we're just two weeks into our study of Philippians, but has Brother Tyler been killing it the last two weeks or not? Absolutely. I'm telling you, Brother John, Vod uh, asked me this afternoon, he texted me, he said, so preacher, what's it like? Um, you're sitting there and listening to somebody else preach. And I was honest with him. I said, Brother John, be honest with you. I said, Brother Tyler's my favorite preacher. And I said, to be honest with you, it's really easy. It's easy because I'm being fed. My soul's being fed. I'm being challenged. And uh, that's exciting for me. And uh, it's not hard for me to sit there. And I said, besides that, I said, instead of preaching two mediocre sermons on a Sunday, with more time, I might be able to preach one that's half decent. And uh, so I said, I, I've, I've enjoyed it the last two weeks. I really have. And I've enjoyed uh, Brother Tyler's exposition of the book of Philippians. And I'm going to tell you, a church that is, is growing not only numerically, but a church that's growing spiritually, you look at that, I'm going to tell you, their preachers are preaching expositionally through books of the Bible. And they're feeding their people every single week. And so I appreciate uh, our study though, thus far, and I know uh, that, it's, that it's going to be better. Acts chapter 20, this message will be message number 47 in our Church Life series. And the subject that we will address in this message tonight, honestly, could not have come at a more appropriate time. Now, I'll be honest, I, uh, I wish I could take credit, and really I would love to take credit for how this message um, fell on this night, but I can't. And I'll tell you why I can't. It's because I'm not that organized. I do not plan that far ahead. I could not personally have made this happen. I, that's just me. Jay Preacher, we ought to be more organized. Amen. You're not telling me anything I don't know. And Preacher, you ought to be thinking ahead on these messages. Amen. I know that. But I'm not. So judge me. I'm just telling you, this is not me. We'll just chalk it up to the Lord. Uh, that This message fell on this night. In the latter verses of Acts chapter 20, Paul gives a final charge to the elders or the pastors in the church at Ephesus before he departs for Jerusalem. He warns them of carelessness in verse 31. And he warns them of shallowness in verse 32. As you come to verse 33, he gives them a warning against covetousness. And then in verse 34, it's a warning against laziness. And finally, as we come to verse 35, which is our text tonight, he warns them against selfishness. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he said, let's read it out loud together, church. 
It is more blessed to give than to receive. One more time. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I remembered having read a story, a sermon illustration a few years ago. And so I did a little research this week. I was able to find it again. And it was a true story. I, before I share stories like this, I like to Google it and, and make sure that it's legit. And um, it is. Uh, ABC carried the story. A couple of magazines, a couple of psychological magazines uh, carried the story. So I, I knew that, that it was legit. And this website that uh, I forgot where it was, but it's one actually that I subscribe to, a sermon illustration website. Um, they're very reputable, and they don't put stuff on there that's, that's not true. And uh, it was a story about a, a Brazilian man who developed what doctors called pathological generosity. In the article, doctors described the strange case of a 49-year-old man identified as Mr. A, who had a remarkable personality change after suffering a stroke. His physician said that after the stroke affected uh, the, the subcortical regions of the man's brain, he suddenly had an excessive and persistent, is the way they put it, an excessive and persistent urge to help others. He wouldn't stop giving money and gifts to people that he barely even knew. According to his wife, he would regularly buy things like candy and pop and food for kids that he just met on the street. He also quit his job as the manager of a, a large corporation. A doctor by the name of Larry Goldstein, he's a neurologist at Duke University, said, although the observation of personality change is not unusual, this particular one is apparently novel. When asked by researchers if he wanted to return to his job, Mr. A claimed that he saw death from close up and he wanted to be in high spirits for the rest of his life. Mr. A was put on medication for depression, which he said cured his depression, but his pathological generosity remained unchanged. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word pathological, generosity is not the word that I would normally attach to that word. Somebody help me. If you heard the word pathological tonight, what would be the first word that would follow that? Liar. Exactly. Pathological liar. A pathological liar is somebody who habitually lies. I mean, that's just who they are. It's, it's what they do. Now, if we keep in that line of thinking, then someone who is pathologically generous is someone who habitually practices what? Generosity, giving, helping others. 
In, in, in Hebrew, the word generosity literally means to saturate with water, which is a, a sign, a symbol of life. It means to overflow. Brother Tyler showed us that slide this morning, talking about overflowing and, and being abundant. And it means to overflow in a way that brings life to other people. So when you put all of this, these things together, you get the picture of someone whose life is habitually overflowing with care and concern for others. So with the Lord's help, I'm going to preach to you a little bit tonight on the subject of generosity. And I want to begin tonight with this statement. Generosity is not some high and noble calling for just a few spiritually elite individuals. It is a joyful and fulfilling lifestyle that Christ calls all of us to. So let's start here tonight with the blessings of generosity. And I'll say this right off the bat, that generosity is a blessing because it works. Some of the happiest, most joyous, and blessed people I know personally are people who have learned to be generous. As a matter of fact, I've never known anyone who was unhappily generous. But by the same token, I've never met anyone who was happily selfish. Have you? Have you ever known someone who is unhappily generous? I mean, they're just generous and giving and caring, and they're mad about it all the time. You ever met anybody like that? No. Have you ever met somebody who's selfish and happy about it? That might be a little more common, but I haven't. I don't know of anybody who's a selfish person who is a genuinely happy person. We know generosity works because the Bible says that it does. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'll be honest, I've been blessed in receiving. And I'm not going to lie to you, I enjoy receiving. I go, to, I go out to eat and somebody pays for my lunch, I'm blessed. I like it. I don't sit there and pout about it. You know, boom, cha-ching, absolutely. Somebody does something nice for me, I enjoy it. Brother Bob, he, he, I don't want to embarrass him tonight, but he texts me often. Just encouraging text messages about messages that I preach. And it's a blessing, Brother Bob, and I enjoy that. Don't stop. I like receiving. And Jesus doesn't say anything here about it's a bad thing to receive. He just makes the statement that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here a few weeks ago, and I'm not mentioning names, I don't embarrass them. I don't mind embarrassing Brother Bob, but I don't want to embarrass this person. <laughs> this person had an amount of money come. I'll just tell you, they had $125 coming to them. 
And they said, hey, why don't you just give to God? Here, here was their words. God's been good to me this week. Just give that, and he named the person they wanted to give it to. Now, he could have t- taken that money and been blessed. But I'll guarantee you this tonight, he was more blessed because he was willing to give. More willing to give than to receive. Again, we know that generosity works because the Bible says it does. Let me give you some examples real quick. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. Then the next verse says a liberal soul shall be made fat. I could have put in my notes right there, Brother Cable, say amen. And I would have been right 100 times out of 100. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth, listen, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. You know this verse, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over. You know, when I go to, I love Baskin-Robbins. Oh, mercy. Love Baskin-Robbins. I get two dips of chocolate chip in a cup every time. And man, I love it when you get one of them strong-armed gals. You know, not one of them wimp, not one of them wimpy guys. No, I like when I get a strong-armed gal and she digs down in there. Pulls out his big old, big old dip of chocolate chip ice cream, and that's just the first one. And she fits it in that cup, and then she stretches a little bit, and she goes at it again. I'm going, dig, baby, dig. And she pulls up another big old scoop of chocolate chip ice cream, and she puts it down in there. And then sometimes they'll just be nice. They'll just dig up a little bit. That's what that verse is saying, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet, or that ye give, or that you deliver out, that you hand out with all, it shall be measured to you again. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Here's why generosity is a blessing, because it works. Stinginess, on the other hand, it doesn't work. It doesn't bring blessings. The first part of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. I don't know if if we'll get to this in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. I I don't know if we're going to be in chapter 5 anymore or not. But Solomon says this. He says that stinginess can bring pain. Here's what he said in chapter 5. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, Riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Remember Proverbs eleven twenty four. I showed it to you a moment ago. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. Here's the flip side to that. It's the other half of the coin. And there is that withholdeth 
more than is meet or more than is proper, but it tendeth to poverty. There's a reason Ebenezer Scrooge is not a good role model because he's like the man we studied a few weeks ago from the book of Ecclesiastes. He had all kinds of money, but he had no fulfilling relationships and no joy. There's a reason that you read so many horror stories about lottery winners. I would, I would encourage you, go Google stories about lottery winners and the misery that it has brought to them and their families. And there's a reason why so many families are divided when a loved one dies and leaves all of their wealth and worldly possessions behind, which, by the way, every one of us will do one day. And you could tell stories, and I could tell stories, and maybe some of your stories would be from your own family who are still divided to this day because they feel like they got ripped off in the inheritance. It's all stinginess. It doesn't work. Generosity is a blessing, second of all, because it connects us with others. There's something very attractive about those who have a sense of kindness who do nice things for others, who pick up the tab or go out of their way to do a favor. I don't know about you, but those people are attractive to me. I love people like that. I love watching people like that. Generous people create positive feelings in their relationships. They cause others to want to be around them. When I was a kid... I had an obsession with Christmas. I mean, I did. Maybe, maybe you were the same way. Maybe your kids now are the same way. I mean, this is about time 42 years ago. I'm not a spring chicken either. I remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Huh? And I remember taking an ink pen, flipping through that baby, circling, you know, dog ear in the pages over. Making sure I laid it somewhere where my mom could see it. I was obsessed with Christmas. But I'll be honest with you. The older I've gotten, and I don't know when this changed for me. I really don't. I don't know. I know it was before we had grandkids. I know that. But I don't know when this changed for me. But as I, if I'm lying, I'm dying tonight. I can stand here before you tonight and honestly say this, when it comes to Christmas, and it's been this way for a long time for me, I get more joy out of giving and being a blessing to others than I do receiving. I can honestly say that. Hadn't always been that way in my life. But it is. And I'm thankful that God has, has helped me with that. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 as he describes the, really the most generous act performed by anyone at any time, anywhere. And it's because of this generous act of God's Son that we can be connected to Him. And here it is, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye... That us, through his poverty, might be rich. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which 
Peter tells us to in 1 Peter chapter 2. If we're going to walk in his steps, then church, that means that we are going to mimic his attitude of generosity. And through our generosity, we're going to have untold opportunities to connect with others along the way. Here's the third reason why generosity is a blessing. Because it helps us invest in what matters. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not an Edward E. Jones guy. I'm not a, any of those, I'm not an E.F. Hutton guy. I'm not any of that stuff. But I do know this tonight, that generosity is a guaranteed high-yield investment. You want some investment advice? Just come to me. No, you don't have to. I just gave it to you. Generosity is a guaranteed high-yield investment. Spiritually, generosity protects us from short-sighted, bad investments of things like our time and our talent and our treasure. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but everything we do is an investment. You sitting here tonight listening to me preach is an investment. Tomorrow you're going to make a number of investments. That is, you are going to constantly, tomorrow and all throughout this week, pour your time and your talent and your treasure into something. It's going to go somewhere. And wherever we pour those things, listen, is where our heart is. That's where our heart is. Be turning to Matthew chapter 6. In his Sermon on the Mount, you still with me tonight? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about this principle. And in his teaching, we learned that if we want to be protected from bad investments and avoid their devastating consequences down the road, then generosity can do that for us. Look at verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. I better get there myself. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice that Jesus starts this section off with a negative command to stop laying up treasures or to stop striving to amass great amounts of earthly treasure. Jesus said, stop it. Give, give that plan up. Don't do that anymore. Now, please understand me tonight that he's not saying that it's wrong to save. He's not saying that it's wrong to invest. He's not saying that it's wrong to plan for the future or to even enjoy nice things. That's not what he's saying. And we know that's not what he's saying because there are other teachings elsewhere in the scriptures that teach us to save and to invest and to plan 
and even to enjoy the blessings that God has given us. So clearly the teaching here is against covetousness and greed and self-interest and hoarding and living only for the here and now. That's the point that Jesus is making. Quit making everything about today. And understand that there is an eternity beyond today. Well, preacher, why would Jesus teach such a thing? It's simple, because he has our best interest at heart. None of this is about self-sacrificial martyrdom. Again, the motivation is what's best for us in the long term. And I am convinced tonight, as many of you have already today, that if if we will begin to see the big picture, then we will begin to do for ourselves exactly what Jesus says to do. But how do we do that? Persia, how do we store up treasures in heaven. And I'll be honest with you, it's like Brother Tyler said a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, his first message, uh, there was something in there about something that goes on in heaven. He said, I don't know how it all works, I just know that it does. And I'm the same way. I don't know how all of this treasures in heaven and rewards and all of that, I don't know how all of that works. I, 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 I just don't. But I believe this book. And I believe that we can store up right now treasures in heaven. And I know that one way we can do that, Jesus himself promised that that a cold glass of water given in his name would receive a reward in heaven. So, So understand me tonight, this message is not just about money, it's about giving in general. It's about stepping outside of our own self and helping a brother in need, helping a sister in need. It's about going through the the sonic drive-thru and telling the person at the window, hey, I want to take care of the person behind me. And you don't even know who they are. You don't even know what they ordered. And then you take out a little liberal love card and you give it to the gal in the window and you say, just give this to them when they come to the window. It's about a group of young married couples collecting $1,000 Let me tell you something, that's a lot different than my class collecting $1,000. My class could collect $1,000 a lot quicker and a lot easier than their class can collect $1,000. But they did it. And they went to Walmart. And they went to Dillon's. And they stood there and they waited until the Lord prompted them. And then they walked up to somebody and said, hey, can I take care of your groceries? And then we have a a concert a couple Sunday nights ago. And a lady sitting up here, she's wearing oxygen. And Brother Dewey says, hey, preacher, this lady wants to meet you. I don't even know her from Adam or Eve. I think I would know her from Adam. I didn't know her from Eve. And she, she walks up to me. And she says, you're, you're all in, people. Help me pay for my medicine at Dillon's. And somehow Joel came up there, and she looked at him and said, it was you. I said, yeah, it was you. Listen, when we, when we talk about being generous, it's not just about giving money. It's about giving our time. 
It's about giving ourselves to somebody who needs us. It's about sending an encouraging text message to your pastor. It's, a, it's about sending somebody a text message and say, hey, I know that you're struggling right now. I just want you to know I'm praying for you or writing them a card or writing them a note. And that's one way that we can store up treasures in heaven. God states that when we give to the poor, check it out, it's in the book, that we are literally lending to him. And he will repay us in eternity. But another way that we can lay up treasure in heaven is by giving. Amen. It's by giving to the work of of the gospel, so God's word can go and change lives. We lay up treasures in heaven, Brother Tyler, when we become partners in the gospel. Loving one another, and helping one another, and encouraging one another. And later on in the, in the book, we're going to talk about how they gave. And they partnered with Paul in the gospel. And understand today that your giving to the Lord through Fellowship Baptist Church, not just showed that you love your church, but it shows that you are wanting to partner in the gospel. Generosity is a blessing because it frees our hearts. After diverting our focus from the temporal to the eternal, Jesus lets us in on a little secret. It's all a matter of the heart. Look again at verse 21. For where your treasure is, look at it, church. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If I ever want a true and accurate measure of my relationship with God, then all I have to do is look at my checkbook or look at my credit card statement. And that will show me where my money's going. And it will tell me where my heart is and what I'm devoted to. That's in the book. You just read it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, my heart and your heart will always, mark it down, will always follow our investments. Or we might say it like this, where your money goes, your heart flows. Where your money goes, your heart flows. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore, uh, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So, preacher, what is, what is Jesus getting at here? According to him, the eye is a lamp into one's soul. And his point was that where you go and what you do are directed by what you see and how you see it. 
And if your eye is singly and solely focused on God, then your life will be full of light or, or full of that which is good. That's the use of the word light here. It compares light and darkness. Light is that which is pure and holy and good. And so if our focus is on God, then our, then our soul, our heart, will be filled with that which is good. If not, then the other is true. When we understand what life is really about, relationships and serving others and eternal impact, when you and I really begin to understand that, then we will reassess our investments and we will place them in what is truly treasure. We will evaluate all of our temporal possessions and then we will begin to rearrange those in a way that maximizes the benefit to others and to ourselves. We will invest in what will bring us the greatest return on that investment and we'll do it not because we're more righteous or more noble or more spiritual than others. We'll do it, listen, because we're smarter. Look at this. To be smart, spend carefully. To be wise, save regularly. But to be blessed, give extravagantly. Let that sink in for a minute. To be smart, spend carefully. To be wise, save regularly. But if you want to be blessed, learn to give extravagantly. If there is one thing in this book that is true, it is that God blesses those who are generous. It's in there, folks. Well, pastors living generously is so smart then why isn't other people doing it? And I'll tell you why. Because it's difficult. It's not easy. It goes against our inherent nature, which is selfish and self-centered and covetous. Let's talk real quick about some barriers to generosity. You still with me? The deceptiveness, here's, here's one barrier to generosity. It's the deceptiveness of money. Jesus told a parable, you'll know this parable, about the, the sower who scattered seed into four different types of soil. And some of those seeds grew up, it, the story says, the parable says, among thorns and was unfruitful. We know that from the parable that Jesus interpreted the seeds to represent the Word of God. And the soils represented the spiritual condition of those who heard it. But here's the point I want to make. Jesus explained that the thorns symbolized the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. 
Unfortunately, here's what can happen and, and, and does happen. I hope it doesn't happen tonight. But these things can happen when a message like this is preached. Wealth and worldly worries choke out its truth and render it ineffective. Please, church, don't let that happen tonight. Well, preachers talking about giving it, and I've got all of this, and I've got all of that, and I've got all of that. And if that's what you're focused on tonight, then the devil is going to use that to, to choke out the truth of this message. Don't let him do that. One of the biggest barriers to generosity is the deceitfulness of money. Here's another one still in, in Matthew chapter 6. The seductiveness of mammon. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot. Everybody say cannot. cannot. Look at the person next to you and you say, it won't happen. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon speaks of the false god of wealth. And here's what the God of, uh, uh, of wealth, here's his message. Money can buy you anything you want. Whether it be success or power or fame or status or security or whatever. And, listen, and he says you can have it now. Right now. Don't listen to that preacher about treasures in heaven and waiting until you die and getting there and cashing it in. Listen, you don't know if that's true. You don't know if that's right. Listen, you can have power. You can have money. You can have stuff. You can have things right now in your hand. You can see it. You can touch it. You can feel it. Listen, that's what you need to focus on. And that's the message of the false god of, of wealth. Mammon makes enormous promises that it never fulfills. It ends up being a harsh taskmaster. It destroys relationships. And it keeps its servants chasing the wind. What mammon promises, things like security and significance and purpose and happiness, listen to me, church, only God can provide those things. Then here's a third roadblock or hindrance to generosity. It's the nearsightedness of man. Nearsightedness is when light entering the eye is focused incorrectly, making distant objects appear blurred. I think I've got that right. So if you're nearsighted, then you have trouble seeing things that are far away. Many people miss out on the blessings of living generously because they can't see past the temporal things of this life. But when our hearts are right with God and we're seeing things from a truly biblical perspective. And I know some of you will agree with this. Things are totally different. They are. Everything about our spiritual life is going to be right 
including the part about living generously. When our focus is right. When that part of our life is right, then we will live to give. That will be our purpose. We won't live to get. We won't live to hoard. We won't live to to heap things upon ourselves. We will live to give. Real quick, let me go back to the thought of pathological generosity. Pathological generous people live to give. And when they do, three things happen. Number one, when we live to give, there won't be a day, there will not be a day that goes by that we don't think of God and all he has entrusted us with. God, you've been good to me. When we live to give, we're going to be serious about investing in the right things. I'm talking about things that really matter. Because we know that one day we're going to give an account to God. I mean, it's as if I came up to you and or I'll just do this. People entrust Bradley with, with, with their money all the time. And I'm sure some of that uh, is in large sums. And they, they trust him to do right with it. They trust him to use it in a way that will benefit them the most. Am I right? And am I right when I say that there is some kind of monthly accounting to those people who entrust you with that money? I know there is because I get one. Listen. God's done the same thing with us, church. He's entrusted us with life and with health and with with material things. Just like people entrust Bradley with their money and their things. God's done the same thing for us. Yeah, but preacher, I don't have to give an account to God every month. No, but one day we will. One day we will. You can bank on it. And God's going to want to know. Why were you stingy with my stuff? Why were you stingy with the life I gave you? Why were you stingy with the children that I gave you? Why were you stingy with the health that I gave you? Why were you stingy with the skills and the abilities and the gifts I gave you? Yes, and why were you stingy with the financial blessings that I bestowed upon you? Why were you so stingy with those things? And listen to me. It's not going to matter what excuse we give to God. It's not going to fly. It's just not going to fly. Well, God, you know, we God's going to say, shush it. I entrusted you with that. I expected you to use it for my honor and glory and not yours. And if we'll live to give, that's what will happen. Number three, real quick, when we live to give our relationships with God will become much more intimate as we celebrate the spiritual victories that have been won as the result of our generosity. In the days, weeks, months to come, as God 
pours out his blessings upon you for being generous today, it's going to draw you closer to him. Your relationship with him is going to become more precious. Now let me go back for a moment to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Those words present an irrefutable truth. We hoop and holler and shout and get all happy about the fact that once we're saved, we're always saved. And nobody can take that truth from you. Nobody can change your mind because, boy, howdy, it's in the book, preacher. It's in the book. And if God said it, he meant it. Well, this verse is in the book, too. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's as irrefutable as once you're saved, you're always saved. It's a truth that will never change. Way back in October of 2017, as we were in Oklahoma City and we were planning out the calendar, we deemed October the 28th, 2018, as I Love My Church Sunday. And there's a reason why we chose to receive the I Love My Church offering on this day because let me tell you there's no better way to say that and to show that than what so many of you have done today and what others of you will do tonight and perhaps on Wednesday and later later next month there's no better way to say I love my church than to give and we're never more like Jesus than when we're giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. So as our musicians come, here's the, here's the challenge tonight. Number one, if you were able to give today, you need to thank God for that. You need to thank God. God, thank you. I got a, a text this week from... One of our families, and they showed me a, snapped a picture of, of some letter that they had gotten that, that uh, said they were getting money back from whatever. I didn't even know what it was for. But they, 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 in that text message, they pointed to the fact that, that God's allowing us to give more in the offering this Sunday. And if God's done that for you, he's given you health, he's given you breath, he's given you the ability to use your hands, use your mind, use your fingers, whatever it is you do for work, you need to thank God for that tonight. And if for some reason you haven't gotten involved yet, I encourage you to come and pray and say, God, just help me to overcome my fear, to overcome my selfishness, whatever it is. Because God, I want to get in on your blessings. God, I want to start living so I can give. So, Lord, help me to be a more generous person. Let's pray. Father, tonight.